I'm Tavi Nasir, and this is Leadership Biz Cafe, a podcast that provides insights and tools to help leaders take on the challenges and opportunities found in leading today's workplaces. Leadership Biz Cafe is brought to you by Tavi Nasir Leadership our leadership firm that offers keynotes and corporate trainings in both virtual and in-person settings that will help you to improve the way you lead and guide your organization's growth and future successes. To find out how we can help you today with your leadership challenges and discover your untapped opportunities, visit our website at tamvinasir.com. And now, I'm delighted to introduce our guest today, someone who I had the pleasure to speak with before on this podcast, Stephen M.R. Covey. Stephen has a brand new book that's just coming out now called Trust and Inspire, How Truly Great Leaders Unleash Greatness in Others. And I can't wait to talk to him about it. So we're just going to dive right in here. So hi, Stephen. Welcome back. It's so good to speak with you again. Hey, Tanvir, it's so great to be with you. Delighted to be back on the Leadership Biz Cafe podcast. This is fun. Okay, Stephen, I have to say this up front that I'm so excited to talk to you about your new book because it is phenomenal. I mean, there is so much good stuff in here and you've written some fantastic quotable lines in here that I guarantee you, Stephen, that a few of them are going to end up on slides for some of my upcoming leadership keynotes and workshops because they're just so good. I mean that honestly and sincerely. And in fact, I just loved how you started your book with that story about your dad. Yeah. I found it was such a lovely story and a message that just frames the book and the message. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you, Tanvir. That means a lot to me, especially coming from you, because uh, you're so well-read and widely read. And so if you feel like this is going to add value, it makes me feel good that that uh, all the hard work and effort is hopefully going to connect with people. So that makes me feel good. And, and yes, I, um, in fact, you mentioned my father, it's the, the, the seeds of this book began as I had those chances many years ago to do some, some, um, uh, sessions, uh, uh, workshops with my father, these big, big public workshops, you know, 600 to a thousand people, sometimes 2000. And, and, um, and I saw kind of um, how there was just so much more talent and ability and creativity that people had than they were able to give or even allowed to give. And that's kind of where this, the, the, the seeds of this book started. And then it's just been over many years, I've been kind of thinking about it, refining it until I came out with Trust and Inspire. So uh, thank you for that, those kind words. Oh, it's my pleasure. And I would tell anyone who is going to be picking up this book, make sure you either have a notepad or a highlighter, because you're going to be marking this book up. I'm so delighted to not only have gotten an advanced copy so I could read it before it came out, but also to be able to now talk to you about it, because it's a message that we need to hear right now for leaders and how they approach their workplaces. So I'd like to just dive in here by starting off with your idea of this trust and inspire model of leadership. I was wondering, Stephen, if you could explain what this model is, because there's been some recent events that shows that we really need this new model, this new approach to leadership today. Yes, absolutely. And I, and I call this new approach Trust and Inspire, which is the name of the book and kind of the old approach the really the prevailing approach, command and control. We just become better at our command and control, more sophisticated, more advanced. I call it enlightened command and control. But the reason why Trust and Inspire is 
different and better is because it, it views people differently and it views leadership and the role of leadership differently in a more relevant, accurate, and complete way for our world today. And so if I could go back to the, the comment you made about doing these works, these uh, big seminars with my father, here's what the first question he would ask everybody. Again, these are audiences of a thousand or so people. He would ask them this. He would say, how many of you believe that the vast majority of your workforce in your organization possess far more talent, creativity, ingenuity, intelligence, and ability than their present jobs require or even allow them to contribute. And almost every hand in the room would go up. There's a lot more people can give. They have a lot more they would love to, but they're not able to or even allowed to. And then you do a follow-on. And how many of you believe that the vast majority of the workforce in your organization are under immense and growing pressure to produce substantially more for less? And again, almost every hand would go up. Now, look at that disconnect. <laughs> we, we, we've got to do more for less. And yet, people are nowhere contributing. They're, they're, they're nowhere close to contributing what they're capable of contributing and giving. Something is wrong with how we're leading, how we're operating, that there's so much inside of people that they're not able to give at a time we need more. And so, and I'm just saying, I'm framing that as a leadership style issue that, that um, people are, are capable of far more than what our current prevailing leadership style is promoting or even allowing. So we need a new way of leading in this new world that can tap in to this potential, to this creativity, this innovation, this greatness that's inside of people. And I'm calling it trust and inspire in contrast to the command and control that's a relic from the industrial age that doesn't work in our new world of work. And with, with the, so much um, change going on around us and, and, and the need to, to, to really attract and inspire people, to keep them, all these things that are happening, you can't command and control your way to a great culture. And you can't command and control your way to collaboration and innovation. You've got to do that through trust and inspiration. So this is a new way to lead in a new world. That's the idea. The basic framing of it is trust and inspire in contrast to the command and control of the past. That's one of the things that early on becomes that, you know, unspoken revelation where you kind of find yourself nodding your head saying it is true. That as much as we've all been talking about how we're moving past the old command and control style leadership, we really have embraced what you just mentioned is an enlightened form of command and control. And the example that just came to mind, because it happened like very recently, was the case of the CEO of Goldman Sachs, who recently told his 10,000 employees they had to return to working in the office full time, five days a week or more. And when they came to that date where they were going to reopen their offices, only 50% of their employees showed up. And it's been interesting to see how so much of the discussion has been around uh, how this shows employees want a choice of how, when, and where they work, and that leaders need to learn to accept a hybrid work environment, whatever that would look like and whatever makes sense for their organization and their employees. But after reading your book, I can see how we're missing the bigger picture here, which is that in this case, and in so many of these cases, we have a leader who's clearly operating from that command and control style leadership where he's showing, I don't trust my employees, and he's not inspiring the best in them. As clearly, we can see only half of them 
were willing to show up and the other half were perfectly fine ignoring something their company CEO was telling them to do. And I just keep thinking how some for the last couple of years, we've been constantly talking about how our employees are our strategic advantage, right? We no longer are going to be having any strategic advantages through our processes, through our technologies. And as you mentioned in that question that your dad would ask the audience about encouraging your employees and your people to bring their talents, their creativity and insights and experiences to the organization, it's kind of funny how we can't seem to see that if you go around saying to people, I don't care what you think, I don't care what works best for you or what would allow you to deliver your best. I just want you to do what I think is best is not only showing your employees you don't trust them, but as you said, why would it inspire greatness from them? Absolutely. It, it's, uh, I mean, it may have had a time and a place where that could, could work. Um, you know, in a certain industrial type setting and the like where the command and control approach might work. And it certainly works with this. I think the the key difference here is, are we talking about things or are we talking about people? Because you can be command and control with things. That's fine. And you can be command and control with processes and objects and structures and systems and inventories and financial systems. Things don't have autonomy, don't have choice. So be, yeah, that's fine to be command and control with, with things, but command and control with people where you try to um, be dictatorial or where you try to compel or, or, or really rely on compulsion force, that's just not going to work in our world today. You manage things, you lead people. The danger comes when we start to manage people as if they were things and when we do that, what we'll end up with is no people and a lot of things because they'll go elsewhere. They have too many you know, options and choices today. And, but when you distinguish management of things, leadership of people, and be efficient with things, be effective with people. But the moment you try to become efficient with people, you lose your effectiveness. And when you, the moment you try to control or contain it's better instead of really to develop and unleash, you lose your effectiveness, especially in our world today with our expectations. And so, um, yes, this is a more relevant style of leadership for our times, for, for our world. And the fact that people have so many choices and what's going on right now with the great resignation, the great reshuffling, whatever you might call it. I've heard it called dozens of names, but this whole um, inflection point that we're at and where people realize they have choices and options they didn't have before. And for, for companies and for leaders, there's going to be more than one right answer of how you approach this. But what's really important is that you approach it in a way that shows that you trust your people and that shows that you're, you're seeking to inspire your people, not just motivate them. And that's, what's critical, no matter what form or, uh, you know, what um, methodology that you end up, coming up with, whether it's a all remote, all, un, all in person or a hybrid or any combination, the question is, do your people feel trusted and do they feel inspired? People don't want to be managed. People want to be led. They want to be trusted. They want to be inspired. And so that's the critical thing. And I think one of the best ways to think about it is to distinguish between things and people, manage things, lead people. Oh, I love that distinction. And Stephen, I think you've given us a perfect opportunity now to dive into this trust-inspired model of leadership, which you point out 
And your book involves three stewardships, modeling, which refers to how you are, trusting, which refers to how you lead, and inspiring, which is about connecting to why. Now, before we discuss these three stewardships of a trusted, inspired leader, I'd like to talk to you about what you call the fundamental beliefs of a trusted, inspired leader, because if we are going to change how we approach our leadership, and, and as you said, what we recognize, we are at this inflection point where it's not just about understanding that our employees now have a choice, but that now we as leaders face a choice as to how we are going to approach our leadership. Are we going to continue doing the same thing or recognizing we have to make a change? And if we are going to make that change, we have to recognize that we have to start with ourselves. And the things we've come to learn are believed to be true based on our past experiences and education. Yes, absolutely. You're, you're identifying the right starting point um, because if, if, if uh, it's very easy to kind of um, look outside of ourselves and say, you know, it's our industry. We're in a command and control industry or, you know, you know, we got regulation and compliance everywhere. You have to be command and control. That's just the nature of the industry or that's the nature of our company or that's the nature of this division or this team or this leader and to point to that. But that's disempowering to all of us to go outside in. It's far more empowering to go inside out and say, we got to look at ourselves, look in the mirror. And that starts with our fundamental beliefs with how we view people and how we view leadership. Because if those beliefs collectively comprise our paradigm, our worldview, our map. And if we have a map of people in a leadership that is inaccurate or that's incomplete or that's not relevant, then that's going to impact our actions and our behaviors. So the belief helps create the action. And so get the beliefs right, get the map right. And part of the reason why we're still in, in command and control and just become incrementally better and more enlightened command and control is because we haven't changed the paradigm. We haven't shifted the paradigm, the fundamental beliefs. So we start there. And I highlight the fundamental beliefs of a trust and inspired leader. And I'll quickly say these, and I'll, I'll bet that most of our listeners will say, I agree with that. The big question is, does our, you know, does our style match our belief? Does our action, do our actions match our intent? So, so um, here's what they are. I believe, this is part of the beliefs, the fundamental beliefs of a trust inspired leader. I believe that people have greatness inside them. If you buy that, then my job as a leader is to unleash their potential, not to try to contain or control them. Another belief, I believe that people are whole people, meaning body, heart, mind, spirit, not just economic beings, but whole people. So if I believe that, then my job as a leader is to inspire, not merely motivate. You see, you can, you can buy people's backs and, and hands, but you can't, you can only inspire their hearts and minds. And that's a better way of leading than inspiration versus motivation. Another belief, I believe that there's enough for everyone. That's an abundance mentality as opposed to a scarcity mindset or mentality. So if that's true, then my job as a leader is to elevate caring above competing. Now, look, if there's, a, if there's a scarcity mentality, then you have to compete internally and on your teams and between teams, people are competitive, even cutthroat with each other. I've seen many cultures like that. You probably have too, I'm sure, Tanvir, and our listeners have. But but they're not, they're not trusting each other. They're not inspiring. And they're not getting near the results. They're not collaborating very well. So um, it's not going to work. If you believe that there's enough for everyone, then that is a, the, that's an empowering belief 
that elevates caring above competing. And then look, scarcity might be a sound economic theory, but it is a lousy leadership theory. Because in leadership, there's enough of everything that is good. There's enough credit to go around. There's enough love and care and concern. There's enough creativity and innovation and ingenuity. There's enough trust. There's enough of everything good that we want to create in leadership. So having an abundance mentality, you then will elevate caring above competing. Another belief, I believe that leadership is stewardship. And by that, I mean that we're stewards. We have, we have a job with a trust. That's what a stewardship is. And versus I have rights that come to me as a leader. No, I have responsibilities that are implicit in leadership itself. And so if I believe that, then my job as a leader is to put service above self-interest and to seek to serve and to, and to bless and to make a difference in the matter above just only working on my own self-interest. That will take care of itself. And then finally, enduring influence is created from the inside out. When you believe that, that enduring influence is sustainable, is created from the inside out, then my job as a leader is to go first. Someone needs to go first. Leaders go first. And they're not pointing the finger and blaming and waiting on everybody else to lead the change. They are leading the change themselves. And they're going first in what they're doing. They're modeling and they're trusting and they're inspiring. And so that's the idea. It starts with these beliefs. And they, it's a more, these beliefs comprise collectively a more accurate map or paradigm of how we view people as whole people who have greatness inside of them and how we view leadership, that leadership is stewardship, there's enough for everyone, and we, and we influence people from the inside out. And when that becomes your belief, then the, the, the vital actions are those counterparts that come with it. So now let's focus on unleashing potential, not controlling it, inspiring and not just motivating, elevating caring above competing, putting service above self-interest, and going first. And if, if we just would challenge ourselves, we might buy the belief. The question is, if we put it into action, you know, so maybe our intent is good. Does our style match our intent? And so think about it. In what situations or in what relationships is maybe your style, how you come across, getting in the way of your intent, your beliefs. And that's why you always start with the paradigm first. You want to shift the behavior Start with the paradigm. You know, Stephen, as I said earlier at the beginning of our conversation, there are so many gems in your book, and I just feel compelled right now to share one of them that you write in your book. You write how we want to be better because of the way they treat us, how they speak to us, what they expect of us, and what they see in us. Now, the reason this line resonated with me is because like you, this idea of a trust-inspired leader makes me think of a leader whose example I love to reference in my keynotes and workshops, and that's Nelson Mandela. Because if you've read anything about him or watched any documentaries about his life, this is something that many people spoke about being around him. Even the prison guards who worked his cell block would talk about how he brought out the best in them, even though they were part of the system that was denying him his freedom. And I love how you point here, and as you've mentioned how the potential exists in all of us to be our own version of that kind of a trust and inspire leader. We just have to start with our own perceptions of how we view the people around us and embrace making these changes in our behavior and attitude. And you pose the question, and it's funny because I do that in some of my workshops where you ask people 
to think back on a leader or someone like a mentor who you look back on fondly, who really shaped how you view yourself, how you view your potential, who probably encouraged you to do work that maybe you thought you weren't capable of, but because of them, because of their stewardship, you accomplish way more than you can. And I think this is exactly what your book evokes is this notion of how it's not just these much highly sought after regarded leaders like Nelson Mandela. Oh, well, those are the exceptions to the rule. We've all no doubt had someone in our life. It could have been a teacher, a parent, a former boss who under their care, under their stewardship, we felt and we believed in our potential and we exceeded what our own perceptions, our capabilities were. And I just found that such a powerful message, especially when we see all this discussion of how do I keep, and many of the talks that I'm being asked to give is how do I keep my employees? And it's almost like, well, if you're worried about that, I think you know that there is a problem if that's your concern. Mm -hmm. And I think this book of yours just really helps articulate and exemplify what it is we as leaders need to be doing to address the true need our employees have and what they expect from us and through our leadership. Yes, thank you. That's beautiful how you just expressed it and described this. We all long for this. Most of us have experienced it with somebody in some way, shape, or form in our lives. I know I did with my father, you know, from when I was a young boy, when he taught me green and clean, how to take care of the lawn, his famous seven habits story. That was, I was seven years old. That was a trust and inspire story. He trusted me, inspired me. And as a seven-year-old, I rose to the occasion and took care of our big lawn and yard and, and everything else. And, and uh, you know, that kind of leadership, you remember, and it, it impacts us. I had another situation where, where um, I had someone who in my very first job, when nobody wanted me, I'd, I'd already been hired with this company, but I had to get placed in an office. And I went through 13 offices in a row, one by one, everyone rejected me. All the partners, everyone rejected me, did not want me. And I felt really low, like they made a mistake in, in, in bringing me in. I, I, I'm not good at this. I was as low as I'd ever been. And then I had someone step forward that says, I want Stephen. I want you interviewed with me. We connected. He believed in me. He actually believed in me, Tanvir, more than I believed in myself. Mm -hmm. And he had confidence in me and he instilled it. He helped me come to see it in myself, helped me develop that. And I unleashed and he helped me unleash it. And I, I performed well, and I'll tell you what, he inspired me and I wanted to perform for him and with him and, and to give it back to him. And, you know, that kind of leadership is, is extraordinary when we have it. And I'll bet most of us, if we think back, there's probably been someone or maybe a few people in our lives who believed in us more than we believed in ourselves, who had confidence in us, who trusted us, who inspired us that has had a profound impact. In fact, if, I, if you don't mind, Dan Vera, can I turn the tables and ask you, have you had such a person in your life? Oh, yes. As I was reading this book and I was reading about the idea of modeling and having those people who believe in you and you feel compelled, right? That they're trusting you. I want to honor that trust. I don't want to let them down. I want to prove them right, that you were right to trust me. But then how that also fueled me to want to do more than maybe what they said, okay, this is the job duties. I would excel the job duties and I wouldn't do it because, oh, I want to get a raise. I want to get a promotion. I just did it because I wanted to prove what they believed in me mm -hmm. to be true. 
And then in the process, that was the amazing thing. I ended proving it to myself, right? <laughs> and it's such a fantastic thing. I mean, I share one of those examples in my TED talk. It was a summer job, right? I was working in a pharmaceutical dispensary. I was in the warehouse section. So I worked in the basement during the summer, Monday to Friday. I spent most of the time in a windowless basement. And yet all these years later, Stephen, I could tell you without question, it was one of my best and most favorite summer jobs ever. I mean, I had jobs where I worked at the amusement park. I worked at an ice cream parlor. I had all these nice jobs, but none of them even come close to that job where I was working the summer in a windowless basement, working for this man who, right from the moment I started, just evoked this sense of me that I believe in you. I know I hired you for this, but I could see you being so much more and I could see you doing so much more. And I wanted to honor his belief in me. So I know people can't see it, but I'm hoping, Stephen, you can see it. The the smile on my face that <laughs> I remember this man all these years and years and years later with such warm affection, I still have for him, for what he taught me about myself and how I should treat others. Oh, that's powerful. That's beautiful. Um, Tanvir, I'll say this. I can feel your smile. <laughs> I can <laughs> I can capture it. I can, I can sense it and envision it. And, and um, that's, but look at what that did. You just described someone who believed in you in what was probably not an exciting work environment of a windowless basement, you know, summer job. And yet it became an exciting, great place to work because you had a leader who believed in you and he had trust in you, had confidence in you and helped you believe in yourself and what that did to you. And here it is years later, you still remember it. It brings a smile to your face because there's energy and joy that comes from it. That's remarkable. I'll bet, let's ask all our listeners, is there someone who believed in you, who had confidence in you, who trusted you, who trusted and inspired you, who maybe believed in you more than you believe in yourself? Try to think of someone. It could be a, a parent or a family member or a friend or a or a boss, or a coach, or a clergy, or somebody, and ask yourself the same question that you just gave an answer on, Tanvir. What did that do to you, to have someone believe in you that way? How did you respond? And and, um, how do you feel about that person? How'd you perform? My guess is it's just extraordinary in all those fronts. That's the power of trust and inspire. That's the power of belief. And I love the Blaise Pascal phrase of, I bring you the gift of these four words. I believe in you. Mm. And when you have a leader that does that, that is remarkable what that does. It unleashes you to have someone there and you start to believe in yourself and you start to develop that potential and unleash that potential. It was always there. It just needed to be ignited and cultivated and unleashed. And it starts with the belief of a leader. That's the idea. That's why that very first belief that I believe that people have greatness inside of them. So I have a growth mindset, not just for myself. I have a growth mindset for others. And I believe there's greatness inside of them. When you have a boss that feels that way about you or a leader or a friend or a family member that inspires us, we all want to perform don't let that person down, give back. I was with Grady Rogier. He's the, um, it was the former uh, CEO of McLean food services company. And he was describing, they were, they were bought out by Warren Buffett, by Berkshire Hathaway 
uh, several years ago. And, and um, you know, I write about this in my prior book, The Speed of Trust, about how the whole deal happened in, in a, after a two-hour meeting and they shook hands and did the deal. Because, you know, Warren Buffett offers on trust. You can move fast with trust. But here's the interesting thing. Um, they, they, they acquired the company. There was no employment contract in place with Grady Rogier. He's now got a lot of money. He could go do other things. And, and it's one of 77 companies that Warren Buffett had acquired. There's all these, you know, direct reports into Warren at the time, 77 direct reports. I mean, how do you, how do you do that? You got to trust them. Right. Mm -hmm. And, but I asked Grady, so what's it like to work with Warren Buffett? And he said, you know what? He trusts us and I don't want to let him down. <laughs> I don't, you know, I, he didn't need to motivate me. I'm inspired. I don't want to let Warren down and nobody does. I'm not working on a in contract. I got to go elsewhere and, and I've got means, but I stay here because I feel trusted. I feel inspired and I don't want to let Warren down. And that's a different and kind type of inspiration than just carrot and stick motivation to try to move someone or sometimes even manipulate someone into action. This is inspiration. That's what a trust-inspired leader does. And it could be a Nelson Mandela. It could be a Warren Buffett. It could be a Cheryl Batchelder, former CEO of Popeyes, how she turned around that entire system through trust and inspire leadership, extraordinary leader. But I bet we all have someone who believed in us and inspired us, who trusted us and what that, and just think about that person and what that did to us and for us. And then my challenge to all of us as listeners and to you, Tanvir, and to me is, is to ask this question. To, to whom can we be that kind of person? Mm -hmm. To whom can we be that kind of leader? Can we do this for another? Believe in them so clearly that they come to believe in, in themselves because that's what real leadership is. But seeing and, and, and communicating people's worth and potential that they come to see it in themselves. That's leadership. Absolutely. And the idea that you could be that for someone else when you've experienced it is probably the most uplifting thing that it energizes you. So I want to do that. I want to pay it forward because I know the impact it had on me and the idea that I could have that kind of positive impact on someone else. I think it's not something that makes people feel like, oh, I got too much on my plate. I can't do it. I think that's something we all feel compelled to want to do. Absolutely. It inspires us and we do want to pay it forward. And we want to give it back. We want to help others experience what we just experienced. I also think it can work the other direction. Think of uh, command and control leaders that you that we've all had <laughs> somewhere. You know, I mean, I'm sure we've had a lot of these at different points in our lives, whether a, a coach or a teacher or administrator, or a boss that was very command and control. And that probably does not bring a smile to your face. <laughs> <laughs> no. It probably brings a frown or, or some shirking or some fear and, you know, some trepidation because it's it's exhausting. And it's no fun. It's draining. And it probably did not produce our best work. And we probably don't want to replicate that. And, and, um, and what's interesting is I, I was talking to one leader and he said, you know what, when I read your book, he, he, he read an read a advanced draft of it to give me some, some feedback. He said, um, I realized what I'm looking for and what I want to be by what I have not gotten. He said, I've, I've got a boss right now. I like the company I work for. 
I like the people I work with, but I feel like my boss doesn't believe in me. And I feel like there's kind of a, a benevolent, enlightened command and control style of leadership around me because fundamentally my boss does not fully believe in me. But, you know, but he's utilizing me and I'm doing the work and it's good. But there's so much more in me. I'd love to give. But the good thing about it is he said, but rather than saying, look, that's the problem, my boss. I said, I want to make sure that I would not have any of my direct reports saying this about me. I want to make sure that I give to them a leader who believes in them who sees their potential, who sees their capabilities, their talent, their greatness. And I'm going to, I'm going to be that leader for them, the kind of leader I wish I had for me. Now it's a lot easier to be that kind of leader when you've had it, when you've experienced it. And all you have to do is experience it maybe once in your life and you've tasted it. Then you can do it again and again. But even in this case, this, this person did not experience this with his boss, but he said, I'm going to, I'm going to be a transition figure in the lives of those that I lead and not just be a transaction figure. Like I feel like I'm, you know, I am with my boss. I'm going to be this type of trust inspired leader for those who I interact with so that they could say of me that I believed in them. And I thought that was really refreshing that he wasn't, you know, blaming or saying, Hey, it's hard to do. Cause I don't have a boss that believes in me. He says, I'm going to give to my team, a boss who believes in them, a leader who believes in them, a trust inspired leader. And, and, and so I think that is the pay it forward for all of us as listeners. Reflect back on someone who believed in you, be inspired by it, and then ask the question, for whom can I be that kind of leader? That could be kind of transition figure in their lives. Absolutely. And so, Stephen, I'd love to get into those three stewardships yes. of the trust inspired model that you described in your book. Looking at the first one, which I think we've actually started to touch on, which is called modeling or who you are. And let's be honest, if ever there was an intro to leadership course, one of the lessons would be that leaders need to model the behavior they want to see. This is something I think frontline managers, all the way to CEOs, intuitively understand. So what does a truth and inspire leader model do differently? And why is it more impactful than what most leaders are currently modeling through their own leadership? Yes, you're exactly right. This is where all leadership really begins in modeling. And whether we're aware of it or not, we're all modeling. The question is, what are we modeling? And as a leader, and and um, and so this is fundamentally this modeling. This is our credibility, and it's our it's our moral authority. And and the whole idea is that we want to model the behavior that we're seeking in others. Let's model it, and let's model our values. Living the values. If we have values as a company, let's be a model of living those values. Let's be a model of the behavior that we're seeking. So that's kind of the overview of we're all modeling. Let's make sure we're aware of what we're modeling and that we're choosing the modeling and the behavior that we're seeking. But I would say in specific, in particular, in our world today, there's some particular behavioral virtues that have become disproportionately valuable and important to model for a leader. And I group these in pairings. So I've got three pairings of, you know, of two behavioral virtues grouped together and, and that are vital today. So, in, so here's what we need to model today. Humility and courage. They're independently valuable, but they're especially powerful in combination. You know, humility, the fact that there are principles. So I humble myself to principles. Courage, 
to do the right thing, even when it's, there's a cost or a consequence to it. It takes courage to be humble. You know, this is Jim Collins, right? Good to great, a level five leader, deep personal humility, intense professional will. That's courage. That's vital to model today in a world where, where there's a lot of ego and hubris instead of humility and where, the, where there's not enough courage, but more um, kind of going along to get along and not standing up for what we believe and, and kind of going into counterfeit behavior instead of authentic trust building behavior and so forth. So that's important. Another key um, behavioral virtue dyad or pairing is around authenticity and vulnerability. They work beautifully together. See, authenticity is being real. We're authentic. We're real instead of fake or artificial. And in a world in which we're not quite sure is what we see, what we get, you know, being real is, is, is so um, beloved and, and appreciated by people. So be authentic, you know, being authentic, authentic as a leader where we all live three lives, our, our public life, our private life, our inner life, they're all aligned. That inspires people. But then also vulnerability, if authenticity means to be real, vulnerability means that we let people see into who we are. They can see it. They can see that the realness that we have. We're not trying to hide it. We're open. We're transparent. I love the, it, it builds intimacy. And one way to think about intimacy is to break it in, and to call it this, into me see. So I let people see into me and, and um, because I'm authentic, I'm not only authentic, I'm vulnerable and I, I'm, I'm transparent and you might think, well, that's weakness, but no, as Brene Brown, vulnerability is strength. It's your greatest measure of courage to be vulnerable. And it builds trust with people because you're a real person, you're authentic and you're vulnerable. And when you, when you model that, that people tend to say, I can trust this person. And so I think of uh, Brad Smith, former CEO of Intuit. He, he got his 360 feedback, um, you know, from a thing. And then he posted the feedback report outside his office for everybody to see. <laughs> That's vulnerability. But you know what? Are you more likely to trust him when you see that? You know, he's not trying to hide, not trying to run. He's trying to say, here's who I am. I'm trying to become better. Help me. I'll let you see. I mean, vulnerable. Help me change. Help me improve. Help me get better. That, that, that's powerful. And then we also want to model empathy. People we need, we're in, a, we're in a world that needs great understanding. What oxygen is to the body, understanding is to the heart. That's empathy. We need empathy. People need empathy. And when you empathize with people, you'll help them perform better because you'll know their situation, their context. You'll be able to understand how to help them succeed. You'll be a better coach when you understand and empathize first. So empathy and performance. These are the things that we need to model. Um, humility and courage, authenticity and vulnerability, empathy and performance. Now, there's a whole lot more of things to model too, but those are disproportionate in their, valuable for, in their value for leaders today. And, but my summary would be model the behavior, model the values, and go first as a leader. Someone needs to go first. Leaders, go first. You know, Stephen, as I was reading about these three pairs of behavioral virtues, there were two fantastic insights that you shared. And the first one was how you point out being humble means 
You care more about doing right than being right. You care more about acting on good ideas than being the originator or creator of those ideas. And that you care more about recognizing contribution than being recognized for it. And the reason I found this so powerful is because so often I see when we talk about humility, it's often in the context of our success that, okay, you should be successful, but be humble. Meaning that you should temper it with being humble as opposed to being a braggart or arrogant about how good you are. But I love how this understanding of humility makes us think about ourselves more in terms of how we impact others than in how we're seen. And in that light, it becomes easier to understand this within that context of modeling the behavior we hope to inspire in others. And the second was about the dynamic between empathy and performance, where again, he just brilliantly pointed out how if we start from that place of empathetic leadership, where we're not listening just to react or respond, but we're simply listening to, we can understand the other person that we can gain better clarity about what's really important to them. Then we can know what we should be supporting and what will inspire them to give us their best efforts. And consequently, We excel in our performance, they excel in their performance, and we're getting those desired results. And so you can definitely see that clear line from empathy and performance. Those were really like, oh my God, I love these insights, Stephen. I I love that you love those insights because (laughs) um, it it really thrills me because, yeah, you know, before we evaluate, empathize. Seek to understand there'll be a time and a place for evaluation, but our whole goal is we want to coach, we want to help. It is all about other people. And and so so empathy and getting into another person's world will help us not only understand them, but help them perform better Mm -hmm. and help us know how to coach and mentor them to perform better. So evaluation is important, but empathy precedes it. It's it's and then you'll get and then you'll get both. You'll get greater performance in as we evaluate because they'll we'll have started with empathy and then you're right on the humility there's too much pride and ego see the opposite of humility is ego or hubris pride is getting in the way and it's that's when it's all about me so it's you know i want to be right no humility is saying i'm more concerned about doing right than being right it might come from somebody else that I want good ideas, not just that I'm the creator of the idea. And it does take humility. And, and, um, and, and I love how you just said that it's kind of easy to tell someone after you've had your success, make sure you be humble. And we're suggesting that one of the ways you'll have your success is because you're humble. And, and because you really recognize there's greatness in people, not just in you, but in others. And your job is to bring that about. And I love how Liz Wiseman talks about it in, in uh, her work on multipliers of how the leader is not the genius, but the genius maker. Absolutely. That, that you're trying, again, you, you don't have to be right. You want to do right. And the, and the ideas are in the people. The stories are in the people. The greatness is in the people. I'm trying to be a gardener and to cultivate it and bring it out. That takes humility. That's trust and inspire, not command and control, which is just trying to direct and dictate. Uh, but you know what, when you, when you, when you dictate people's methods, how are you going to hold them responsible for results? <laughs> you're responsible if you're dictating their methods. So give people that freedom, model this and, and be empathic for it. So there's a lot to unpack in modeling, right? Cause we could apply this to all kinds of things. I think the point is that the leader is always modeling. The question is, what are we modeling? 
And here's some high leverage behavioral virtues that are vital to the model today. They'll have a disproportionate impact on people. We're all looking for understanding, for empathy. We're all looking for authenticity. We're looking for vulnerability. We're looking for humility and courage. That will help us perform and deliver. Absolutely. I would love to talk about more. I really want to get into the second stewardship. There's just so much good stuff in here. I want to try to cover as much as uh, while I have you here with me, Stephen. And the second stewardship in the trust inspired leadership model is trusting or how you lead. And we kind of touched a bit on this, Stephen, earlier because we were talking about our positive experiences working with certain leaders who actually extended trust to us. And I know we have talked about trust and leadership before in your first appearance on my podcast, and I strongly encourage my listeners to check out that episode after you finish listening to this one. But in the context of this stewardship in this model of trust and inspire leadership, you do point out how the extending of trust to others involves an understanding of both the how and why of trusting. And I would love it. I know we already kind of touched on how the leaders we've worked in the past got the best from us because they extended the trust. But I would love it if you could still explain why extending trust is a better way to lead, because I expect this will, again, resonate with many leaders and help them understand the value in really embracing this in their leadership. Because there is an important point you bring up here where you say that there is a difference between trustworthiness and in extending trust. And I think this is something where a lot of us mess up because I'm sure you've had experience where many leaders will say, well, people know I'm trustworthy and so forth, but that's not the same as extending trust to others. So I really would appreciate if you could elaborate on that for our listeners. Absolutely. Absolutely. Here's what I would ask our listeners to think about. Think about this. You could have two trustworthy people working together and yet no trust between them, even though they're both trustworthy. If neither person is willing to extend trust to the other. So if so here's the idea. If you want to have trust, the outcome, the noun, yes, we have to be trustworthy, but we also have to be trusting. And I know a lot of leaders who are trustworthy. And that's a good thing. And you'll never have trust without trustworthiness, but it's not enough. It's necessary, but insufficient. I know a lot of leaders who are trustworthy, but who are not trusting. And so while they're trustworthy themselves, they're not trusting. And the net effect is they don't create trust. If you don't trust others, they tend to not trust you back. In organizations, I've worked with a lot of lower trust organizations where the employees don't trust their management. And I find the number one reason why the employees don't trust their management is because the management doesn't trust the employees and the employees reciprocate the distrust right back at them. And so you got to be trusting as well as trustworthy to have trust. And so that's why it's literally a stewardship to be trusting of your people. That's part of seeing the greatness and, and unleashing the greatness you got to trust them and you got to become trusting. And so in all my work and all my prior work on speed of trust, which will focus heavily on the behaviors that help make you more trustworthy the very last of 13 behaviors is, is extend trust. And so this whole stewardship is on this one big idea of being trusting. That is the number one thing I'm asked to do when I've worked with people on trust is to focus on how, how we can help our leaders become more trusting. So that's the how of trust that we got to focus on building the agreement together with clear expectations and agreed upon process for accountability to those expectations. The very thing my father did with me 
when I was seven years old with the green and clean story where he taught me to take care of the yard at age seven. We built an agreement together with expectations and accountability. And when you do that, you can trust more than you think was possible because it's a smart trust. It's not a blind trust. It's a smart trust. You have expectations, you have accountability, and you can become far more trusting. So in this book, we unpack how to build that agreement by clarifying expectations and practicing accountability into the trust you're extending. And so that it's a smart trust, not a blind trust. And But you're always trying to grow the people as well. You're trying to get the result in a way that grows the people. And, and, and that's the idea. But here's why this is, trusting is a better way to lead. First is because people rise to the occasion and they respond to the trust be given, to be being given and they perform better. And there's hard data behind it. In these high trust organizations, they outperform the low trust ones by three times in a number of different studies that will show that. And, and again, you'll never have trust without trusting. And you perform far better. People perform far, far, far better. It brings out the best in them. Another reason why to be trusting, because that's how you're going to develop their capabilities. You got to give them a chance to, to run with it and to develop those capabilities, those talents, that greatness that's inside of them. And if you don't trust them, they won't have the chance to develop it. And if you try to dictate it to it, then you're responsible for the result. And they're also not developing their capabilities. And so it helps people develop their capabilities. But another reason is that they return and reciprocate the trust. They give it right back to you. And this becomes a virtuous upward spiral. And until we trust, we don't get it back. There's an expression that goes that he that doesn't trust will not be, you know, no one trusts them either. If you don't trust others, the others don't trust you. So you got to give it to get it. People reciprocate, they rise to the occasion, they perform better, and they develop their capabilities. That is a better way to lead because you're going to get better results and you're going to do it in a way that grows your people. And then they can get better results in the future. And that becomes a virtuous upward spiral. Trusting is a better way to, to lead, a better way to live. I say a better way to live in this sense that people who are trusting are happier, they're healthier, and they live longer. And there's hard data behind all three of those dimensions. So this is a better way of leading in our world today trusting. You know, Stephen, you have to indulge me here because what you're saying here makes me want to share another wonderful gem you share in this book of yours, where you write how trusting starts with the belief that there's greatness inside each person and that our job as a leader is to unleash that potential. And just as you do in your book, I want to posit the challenge that you present with this statement to our listeners right now to think of the employees and the team members you're currently leading and ask yourself, how many of my employees do I look at and say, I believe there's greatness inside? And then what are you doing to help them unleash that potential? Again, just like those leaders from our past who, you know, trusted us, who believed in us. And because of that, it compelled us. They didn't compel. We compelled ourselves to want to deliver and over deliver because they had that belief in our potential and they trusted us to not only do the work, but to shine in that role. Again, this is just another gem. Just listening to you right now, Stephen, I just had to share because I think it's such a powerful statement. It's something that I think leaders need to be asking themselves 
in the context of today's workplaces and the challenges they're facing. You should be asking yourself these questions about each and every single one of your employees. Absolutely. Beautiful. That's, you said it better than I did. In the book. <laughs> and, 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 and Tanvir, that's exactly it. That's why I'm saying, if you really buy the belief that there is greatness inside of people and every person has greatness inside of them, then we have to ask, are, are we seeing it? Are we, are we communicating it? Are we helping them develop it and unleash it? And do they feel it from us? And how are we doing on that? Think it through of all your direct reports, not just direct reports. Think of all the people you interact with. How are they experiencing it? How are they experiencing you? And, and um, it might be overwhelming at first. And I've learned that's where if you, le- if you do it with one, you can do it with another. Mm-hmm. That's where I say, pick one to, 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 to really start there and then have that experience and see what it does to them, how it inspires them and brings out the best. And then, then you'll want to do it with another and then with another. And then over time, you'll find this becomes your dominant paradigm of how you view people and how you view leadership. You'll become trusting and, and, um, and you'll unleash that greatness, that potential that's inside of each of us. So thank you for adding that. Oh, my pleasure. And, you know, just your conversation now, and you brought up Liz Wiseman's work earlier, it just reminds me of her work, how she points out that, you know, when you do this stuff where you help people grow, they're eventually going to want to leave because they've grown beyond the bounds of what they can do in your team. But it doesn't matter because the minute they're out the door, someone's waiting in the wings because they see how much you're inspiring the people that you lead, how you're helping them achieve their real potential that they want to come work for you because I want to have a leader who believes in me, who trusts me, who extends that trust and inspires me to deliver my best. So I just think it's such an important thing. And it's a message that we truly need to be hearing and seeing from more leaders. If we are to address all these concerns, as you mentioned, whether we call it the great resignation, the great reshuffle, whatever we want to use, if we want to address this challenge facing many organizations, this is where it starts. It starts with you as the leader. Yep, absolutely. It's where it starts. You're the catalyst. You can unleash it. So here's a way of thinking about it. As you think about the people you work with, um, what if you were to say to them and mean it, and they were to hear from you this expression and believe it, my passion is your potential. You know, so in other words, I'm all about helping you. That's what makes, that's, that's what I'm passionate about. My passion is your potential. It's not just saying that. What if you really believed that and people felt that from you? Can you see what that's going to do to people? And that's these people we've, we've all thought about that inspire us. They're, they're thinking about us and, and about developing our greatness. It's a great way of thinking about it. And nothing unlocks that like this stewardship of trusting. And I think we've now set ourselves up, Stephen, to talk about the third stewardship, which is inspiring or connecting to why. Now, I think for many of us, when we think of inspirational leaders, we tend to think of them in terms of us feeling a connection to them, that their words and actions inspire us in terms of how we want to be leaders ourselves. But when it comes to trust and inspire leaders, they not only inspire us because they make us feel heard and understood or heard and seen, but they also do so because they help us feel like what we do matters, that there's this clear line we can draw between our contributions and the collective purpose that defines why we do what we do. 
And I know I've discussed this in some of my keynotes. And so I've had this thing and I imagine some of my listeners are thinking the same thing, which is that's great, Tavir. I love that idea. But what does that look like in practice? How am I supposed to inspire people by connecting with them and then creating inspiration by making them see meaning in what they do? Because as I said, this is a question I often get an answer in my keynotes and workshops about finding a sense of meaning in what we do. But I would love if you could share here, Stephen, how we bridge these two needs in order to be inspiring through our leadership. Yes, because here's the interesting thing. The data shows, study from Zanger Folkman, that the number one attribute that people want from their leader is to be inspired. They have that leader inspire them. And yet it's way down on the list of what they're actually experiencing. And, and I think it's because we've too often equated inspiring others to, with charisma. And, and I think that's a mistake, you know, as if you have to be supernatural to inspire people and they're not the same. I know a lot of people who are charismatic, who might motivate, but they don't inspire. I know other people who no one would describe as quote charismatic, but who are extremely inspiring because of who they are and how they lead and how they care about people. And, and so separate charisma from inspiration. And the whole premise is everyone can inspire. It's a learnable skill. Inspiring others is a learnable skill. Now, how do you inspire? So let's get practical. How do you inspire? Well, the first two stewardships will inspire people. In other words, when you model the behavior that inspires, so you're already inspiring when you begin to model, when you trust other people, that inspires to be trusted as the most inspiring form of human motivation. So you're halfway there when you're modeling and trusting already. What brings us home and really goes to the next level of inspiring others is when we connect with people and connect to purpose. So connect with people is all about um, caring and belonging that we are demonstrating that we care about people. Like the expression goes, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Caring is what really connects us. And when you show that you care about your people and they feel it and experience it, they not only will trust you, they will feel inspired by you. And, and um, if they don't feel that you care, they won't feel any sense of inspiration. So this is a profound differentiator and we can all learn to care more. I love how Bob Chapman talks about this as your span of care, not a span of control, but a span of care. And so we got caring is what really enables us to inspire others. And then on a team, it's a sense of belonging and inclusion. And we're trying to create that sense of belonging and inclusion as we build our teams. And when people feel it and sense it, that inspires them. And all of us as leaders can learn to connect with people through caring at the interpersonal level and through belonging at the team level. We can get good at this. They're learnable uh, competencies that we can apply. And then when we add to it one more piece, which is connecting to purpose, to meaning and contribution. So our goal is to connect people to purpose, meaning, and demeaning the contribution, to why it matters, purposeful work, meaningful work. What matters to people is mattering. So we're trying to show why the work that we do matters and why their role matters. And you can create and, can, and embed purpose, meaning, and contribution into almost any role, into almost any 
organization. And, and, uh, and that's what we're trying to do. Um, and so um, when you do that, it changes everything. I'll give a good example of this. I look at uh, Pepperdine University. I spent time with their university, with their, with their team, and, and with their business school, the Graziato School of Business. And you know what their motto is? It's this. We are not trying to build leaders who are best in the world. We are trying to create leaders who are best for the world. So they are all about best for the world leaders. It's all about contribution. It's all about meaning. It's all about purpose, mattering. You know, best in the world, nothing wrong with that per se. That will motivate, but it won't inspire. Best for the world inspires. That's real leadership. That's service. That's contribution. That's giving back. That's mattering. That's moving from success to significance. And when you're when you tap into that kind of purpose, now here, so imagine you're teaching now at Pepperdine and you're all about best for the world leaders, how you're going to teach differently. Imagine you're a student there and you're about best for the world leaders, how you view your role, your stewardship as a student to become a great leader that can impact the world and society and people everywhere. Imagine if you're a, a staff member, imagine if you're a janitor and you're all about best for the world leaders. That's what I mean by creating and embedding purpose, meaning, and contribution into any role, into any organization. And, and so, you know, for some, it's easier. For others, you just have to be more creative, but you can do it. Everyone wants purpose. It's the secret sauce today. And, and when you connect people to purpose, you will inspire them. And we can all learn how to do this. And so inspiring others is a learnable skill. How? By connecting with people through caring and belonging and connecting people to purpose, to meaning, and to contribution. Inspiring others is learnable, and everyone can inspire. That's That in and of itself is inspiring to me, and I hope it is to our listeners, because it changes the paradigm from inspiring is just for the select few, the charismatic. No, it's, it's a stewardship of leadership. Everyone can inspire. It's your job. So let's get good at this as leaders. <laughs> I, I love it, Stephen. And, you know, as I mentioned at the start of our conversation, the problem, though, is, is we're seeing many examples lately of leaders who, you know, honestly, whether they know it or not, are pretty much embodying the command and control style leadership, even if it is an enlightened form of command and control. So as much as we might see the data and the proof with our own eyes for why we need to make a tangible shift to the way we lead, where it's more relationship and trust driven. I know, as I'm sure you know from experience working with leaders, that there are some who might want to make this change, but for one reason or another, their efforts are not translating into that kind of leadership that their employees need. So I think we've made the case for why leaders should embrace this trust-inspired style of leadership. And as you pointed out, the ability and the idea that we could be inspirational is not something innate. It's something we could all learn to do and become. So what do you see, Stephen, as being the roadblocks or even the excuses some leaders might make for not making this change or which kind of impedes it for them, especially as you just mentioned, it's something we can learn to do. Yeah. Uh, great question. Because at one level, this seems like, of course, right? Yes. <laughs> this is where <laughs> we need to go. And yet we're still too much operating under the old paradigm of leadership, the old model, just the more sophisticated, advanced, enlightened version of it of command and control. So why haven't we made the shift? Well, there are barriers 
roadblocks that might get in the way. And they could range from this, you know, this idea that this won't work here. That shows you the first barrier. This is a nice idea, but it won't work here. Not mm -hmm. in our industry. Yeah. You know, we're a compliance industry, highly regulated. Command and control is the only way. So this won't work here. Or you don't know my boss. <laughs> or you don't know my company, <laughs> my industry, whatever it might be. This won't work here. The problem with that is that that, that is disempowering and to all of us. And so your mindset is that I, I recognize that I become the model who then can become the mentor. And, and um, I try to start with my circle of influence and ripple out from there versus saying, because my boss is command and control, then therefore I can't be. No, you say, my boss might be command and control, but I'm going to choose to be trust and inspire. My industry might be command and control and there might be compliance issues. Yes, I've got to do that. But where I get to choose, I get to choose to be trust and inspire. I'll manage things, but I'll lead people and so forth. So that's the idea. That's one barrier. Another is kind of the fear barrier. You know, but but what if I do this and I lose control? Or but what if I do this and it doesn't work? And whereas I know command and control might work, I'm just going to dictate how to do it versus giving people freedom and opportunity. What if it doesn't work? Or what if I do this and I know that I've been burned before? Might I be burned again? I'm I'm a little fearful. Or what if for some I I do this and I don't get the credit because the idea of trust and inspires you're really just giving credit and praise and and um, an attribution to others, not just to yourself. And I'm, that might be a little threatening. Or what if I'm not as confident as you think I am? So this is a little threatening to go to this new style of leadership. So I call those the fear barriers, those scenarios. Another one is, I'd like to do this, but I don't know how. I don't know how to let go. And so really understanding how to build that trust, that stewardship agreement with clear expectations and accountability so that we don't lose control and we learn how we can let go and still have built-in control through the agreement. You know, the I don't know how is another big one. And that's why we focus a huge piece on how you do this and, and, and such. And another one for some is that, you know, but is this idea that I'm the smartest one in the room. <laughs> no one would say that. But some people might kind of think that, feel that. And they might say, well, maybe I'm not the smartest in every room, but I'm, I'm the smartest in this room. And then they're trying to be, as Liz Wiseman said, the genius, not the genius maker. And that's going to get in the way. And you'll remain kind of command and control because you know better. And you won't move to trust and inspire where you're really unleashing the potential and the greatness of the collective and the whole and come up with something better because your mindset's getting in the way. And then finally, and maybe in some ways the biggest one, is this idea that, you know, this is who I am. I know, you know, I grew up on command and control. I've made my success with command and control. I'm immersed in command and control. My models are command and control. This is who I am. And it's almost part of my identity. And the whole idea is there we, is we've got to step back and say, none of us are programmed. We're programmers. We can rewrite our program. We can rescript ourselves toward a new style of leadership. And I've seen leaders do that, literally transform their leadership style. Leaders in the past, like Art Barter, who was very heavy command and control, who became trust and inspire because he said there's a better way to lead in our world today. And, and so we are not our style. We can choose to change our style and to rescript ourselves. You know, um, and as Marshall Goldsmith says, what's got us here won't get us there. So maybe command and control might have worked in the past, but it's not going to work today and in the future. And so we've got to re-script ourselves, reprogram ourselves, rewrite 
our approach to leadership around a trust and inspire model that's going to be more relevant and more effective in working in our new world of work today. So a lot of barriers get in the way, and but there's solutions to all of them. And, and we can apply these solutions and be empowered and recognize that, it, yes, it's a leadership journey, but this is going to be far more effective. And if we continue to operate the old model, we'll just increasingly become less and less effective by the day in this new world. So that's another motivation to, to change is that uh, we want to we want to remain relevant in a changing world and trust and inspire will 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 we'll move into a whole new level of relevance. Stephen, you know, I said at the beginning of our conversation how much I just loved this new book of yours and. You know, my audience might not know this, but you had sent me an advance reader copy. So we're actually talking about your book before it comes out. So I'm going to say something here, which I'm expecting I'm going to be proven right, which is that, Stephen, I honestly, genuinely believe you have a real major bestseller with this book because the model and the ideas in this book just resonate so much with what I'm hearing from leaders who recognize we need to not only do better, we need to do things differently. And honestly, from what I'm hearing, there's a real struggle to understand what that different is. And I think your book here shines a light on where leaders need to go. And I just want to share again, <laughs> I got to share another one of my favorite quotes from your book here, because I think it just encapsulates so much of what we've been talking about. And it just puts a beautiful bow on our conversation here where you write, our world has changed but we continue to aim at where leadership has been. We need to move to where it is going. We need to move towards inspiration. And I could tell you, Stephen, that reading this book, it has definitely inspired me. It has definitely made me feel the work that I'm doing to help leaders be better. This is definitely something we all need to work. There's still so much work needs to be done, but the potential is there. We just need that guidance and direction. And I think your book provides us with that. So I'm not going on much of a limb here, Stephen, to which actually use a little bit of the visual analogy from your previous <laughs> book we discussed in saying that, honestly, my friend, you have a big bestseller here. And I'm so grateful that you allowed me to be one of the people who got to read your book in advance of its release. And to thank you also for sending me a signed copy of your book, because as I said to you before we went on air, the advanced copy, I imagine, is going to become the dog-eared version that I'm going to be pulling <laughs> out to grab those quotes that I want to put up on a slide or to share with my audience for my keynotes and so forth. And the one that you sent me signed is definitely going to be up there in my keepsakes because I just so appreciate you. I so appreciate the message in this book. I think it is what we are so much needing to hear to help us move forward in this inflection point happening in our workplaces and what our employees need from today's leaders to truly feel successful and to feel a sense of value, purpose, and meaning in what they do. Um, wow. I'm humbled and grateful for those kind words, uh, Tanvir. And, and uh, I'm genuinely grateful. And my whole goal, I, I do hope it succeeds because my goal is to bless, not to impress. It's to try to contribute. It's to try to help create best for the world leaders and to make a difference myself. And that's why I do hope that word gets out. But I, I like you, I I'm hopeful for this too, because I do believe it resonates because this is where we're shifting towards. And what's clear to me is we, we we've all become very clear on what we need to move from 
and command and control kind of describes it. Enlightened command and control is a more nuanced version of it, but we're not quite as clear what it is that we need to move toward. We have a harder time naming it, labeling it in the planet. I'm trying to name it, to label it. And I do it in juxtaposition to what we're clear that we're moving from, command and control. So in juxtaposition that, in contrast to that, it's trust and inspire. And there's three elements of it. You model, you trust, you inspire. And that gives people a framework, a language, and a process for the kind of leadership that is needed today to what we're moving toward. And so it's not just that we need to move away from command and control. Yes, that's true. What are we moving toward? Trust and inspire. You modeling, trusting, inspiring. That's the new way to lead in our new world. And that will bring out the best in people and the best in ourselves. And together, collectively, we're gonna unleash the potential, the greatness inside all of us. That's the goal of this book. And I'm so grateful to be um, on your podcast, Leadership Biz Cafe, and the great things that you're doing, Tanvir. You've had you have an extraordinary uh, um, breadth of of understanding and relevance around what's out there, what people are responding to. You yourself connect with that so well, and so to be on your your podcast is a real honor for me. So thank you for this opportunity, and to all our listeners, um, let's create best for the world leadership for the good of society. Thanks so much, my friends. Well, thank you so much for coming back on my podcast. And again, for sharing such brilliant insights. I have no doubt you've inspired many of our listeners to realize that there is a different way to approach leadership and how we can be that better leader we need to be for our employees and organizations. So Stephen, it is always a joy. It is always a pleasure. But this really was a fantastic conversation. And I appreciate you. And I appreciate the work you've done with this book. And as I said to you, I am happy to go on record saying that you heard it here first, folks, that this is going to become a major bestseller. It is really, really a fantastic, phenomenal work. So my congratulations to you, Stephen, on this great book. And again, thank you so much for coming on my show to share your insights again with my listeners. You are welcome, Tanvir, and thank you for having me. Love being here. Thanks so much. Well, that was, as expected, a wonderful conversation with Stephen M. R. Covey about his new book, Trust and Inspire, How Truly Great Leaders Unleash Greatness in Others. If you want to know more about his book and get links to my TEDx talk and other things that we discussed, check out the show notes that you can find a link to on our podcast page at tavinasir.com slash LBC. And if you enjoyed this episode, I'd like to encourage you to subscribe to our podcast. If you go to our podcast page at tavernasir.com slash LBC, you'll find links to subscribe to our podcast on all the major streaming platforms. And if you could, it'd be great if you could rate and review our podcast as well. I'm Tavernasir, and you've been listening to Leadership Biz Cafe. Leadership Biz Cafe.